This edition of the Supercluster podcast is powered by Dropbox. Here at Supercluster headquarters in New York City, we use Dropbox every day to produce our content, including this podcast. Hello there, Supercluster fans and our podcast listeners. I have a very special guest with us today, Leah Cheshire. You've probably heard her name and seen her face recently on the DM2 live stream. That was Bob and Doug's epic liftoff on SpaceX's Crew Dragon back in May. Leah, it's amazing to have you on the show. And I also want to tell our audience that I'm proud that you are a longtime friend of mine. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> we have, I mean, it's been. It's very funny, you know, us becoming friends and then now getting to do what we are today. So thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. It's, it's just great to talk with you. Leah, let's go back to our backstory because uh, everyone in the space program has a backstory. Yes. Um, and you and I started our space careers uh, at Kennedy Space Center doing purely social media under social media credentials. Now, before we dive into that, tell our audience what you do today. Okay. I'm actually in a, a really interesting role, especially for this time period. I've been the social media manager at JSC for the past couple of years, working with the JSC accounts and with the space station accounts. But just recently, I've taken over the position of the space station public affairs officer for a coworker who's on maternity leave. So being in the middle of the 20th anniversary and with Crew One coming up, it's a really it's a really cool place to be to see all of the behind the scenes. Now, JSC or Johnson Space Center, when you hear the movies and the television shows and anywhere in pop culture, when you hear Houston, we have a problem, or Houston, quote unquote, that's where you're, they're talking about, Johnson Space Center. It's a place of history. Mission Control, when you think of the idea of Mission Control, that is Johnson Space Center. It's a central nervous system for the International Space Station, for human spaceflight. And even now for commercial spaceflight, Johnson Space Center plays such a huge role in getting those missions to the space station. As Leia mentioned, we are nearing the 20th anniversary of the International Space Station. It's actually on Saturday. And I want to go back to Leia and I meeting five years ago. We were covering a cargo mission to the International Space Station. How much do you think about that time, Leah? <laughs> I think about it a lot, especially because actually six years ago today, which is October 28th, I was in Wallops Island, Virginia at my first right. NASA experience ever. And I saw the demise of the Antares rocket, right. rocket. So that was really the beginning of everything. And then moving on to Kennedy, it just became... I just would get so excited before I got to go down there. And it was a long drive from my home in Georgia. But I mean, I just remember it was so much fun to feel like you were part of something bigger. And I mean, there's nothing more exciting in America than NASA. I'm biased, but I think maybe several people would agree. But I, I think, think everyone listening would agree. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot about, you know, we had so much fun and we were so eager to any opportunity that we had to sit in on a press conference, we went. And any opportunity we had, we were joking about 
getting up at 3 a.m. to go to the launch pad, even if we weren't setting up remote cameras, we went, you know, so I think about that excitement a lot. Um, Those were really fun times. I just remember when we were working, we had to sort of also plan for our future because I remember you saying, and I'm not putting you on the spot here, but I do remember you saying (laughs) that you did want to do something like a live stream or doing be a person on the television talking about the mission. And I just, I couldn't believe it when I first saw you on the DM2 live stream. And I was like, oh, <laughs> she did it. She did the thing she said she was going to do. And Aww. you know what? That is common among space folk. You're right. They, they set goals for themselves. And no matter how far along it is, it could be four years, five years, 10 years, but they always continue and push forward. And no matter the boundary that there were, because there's always plenty of boundaries. And Leah, I want to ask you about applying to NASA and making that transition from being someone who was like a space communicator slash journalist to actually working at the agency. What was that process like? Oh, I'm really grateful that I kind of discovered my passion for NASA pretty young, you know, middle high school, but I didn't really know that I had those opportunities until we were doing the social media coverage down in Kennedy and, you know, kind of looking at what careers were out there. And I was still in college at that time. And so I ended up applying for an internship and at, at Goddard and didn't get it. And at the same, the same year, they offered me one here at Johnson Space Center. And so I ended up doing a few internships out here and I fell in love with it. I love the human spaceflight aspect of NASA and that there's always something going on, you know, no two days are the same. And so after right. my my few internships, I was hired as a contractor, worked a couple of years in the uh, education office, which is now the OSTEM, the Office of STEM Engagement, and worked with the internship program. So it was kind of a full circle, mini circle right there. And then ended up being hired as a civil servant a couple of years ago to come work in public affairs. And so it really, I'm really grateful. It felt like a seamless transition. It's kind of one of my mottos. You just work hard with what you have, where you're at, and things will kind of fall into place for you. So I'm grateful that 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 worked out for me because I didn't really have a plan B. (laughs) You know what? As long as you work hard enough at plan A, things will work out. And I think that your career trajectory, you started, first you applied and you got turned down. Or, you know, or they, well, for whatever reason, the Goddard thing didn't work out. Then you reapplied. That is the first step in working in space exploration, being turned down for your first few applications. Yes. There are folks working in the space industry who have applied to their job five, six, seven, 12 times, and they keep persisting. Mm -hmm. Persistence is really key in the space industry and to having a, a really fruitful career. You have to be willing to, to get turned down and you have to be willing to fail. That is the key to success, I think, even in career trajectories. I think, you know, you brought up a really good point earlier talking about it seems like so many people who have aspirations to work in the space industry actually achieve their goals. And I think it goes back to what we're actually trying to achieve in the first place. Because space exploration, you have to have a lot of faith and trust and obviously amazing teams of mathematicians, researchers, you know, 
computer scientists right. um, to make it all work. But we're already trying to do something incredibly difficult. You know, humans are we're made to live on Earth, not necessarily in space. And so it's inspiring to see us achieve such great things in space. And how can you say, you know, oh, I, there's no way I can achieve something on Earth. I think it goes back to really making you feel like your opportunities are more attainable. Right. And I think on our side of, you know, the space image and the industry and the community, we need to make space exploration more accessible, even in a communication sense. We're trying to make space more accessible for children, for students, for adults, for everyone, because even congressmen, because even, you know, they need to know what's going on too, because they can right. control budgets and stuff like that. But Leah, talk to us about the challenges of the public knowing what's going on at the International Space Station. Because I know you did an article, you did an interview with our reporter, Alex Lynn, which was an amazing feature. And you guys talked about that. But give us, you know, the gist of the, you know, the day-to-day of how does that, like, are, are folks actually tweeting from the space station? Is there a process that goes through you or Johnson Space Center? Like, how does all that work? So there's kind of a few routes. We have social media accounts on almost every single platform you can imagine. Uh, we have a team here, very small team, but a great team nonetheless of folks who work on the at space station accounts. And so we're the ones who take those major updates, maybe photos that the astronauts have shared or visiting vehicle information. You know, we have somebody who writes the blog every day about what's been going on on the station, what research is being conducted. And uh, we work on those accounts, but the astronauts do have their own individual accounts. And so they have the opportunity to, you know, post from space if they'd like to. Mm -hmm. They have their days planned out down to five minute increments. So they're extremely busy. And sometimes they will send rather than posting from space, because personally, I don't know how the Internet connection works. (laughs) They can email what they want to say down to the ground as well. And we have a team member in the astronaut office who can work with them to get that out on their platforms. So there's a lot of different ways that they can, you know, share their experience in space. And some people just enjoy working on social media more than others. But at the very least, you know, we're always going to be posting from the space station, what kind of research they're doing, what the next missions are, what kind of cargo is arriving, all those kind of important things that, you know, we want people to know, we want people to be interested in. It's really fascinating to me, the aspect of social media in space, because it plays such an important role there as it does here in our daily lives. Um, And it it just shows, it's one of the aspects that shows that space is normalizing, even if it's to a small inch by inch degree, that we, the things that are common in our daily lives here are definitely still common in space. And it's, uh, I always wanted to know, Leia, the astronauts, they do bring up I know that the cargo missions sometimes have like cameras, but some of the astronauts have really cool or or just at least like DSLR cameras and stuff that they can shoot out of the ISS cupola, right? Yeah, there are actually a ton of cameras up there and they have the biggest lenses I've ever seen. It's incredibly impressive. And I mean, of course, you have to have pretty amazing lens to be able to make out the features that they that they have. But um, they receive a photography training course on the ground and some kind of insight on geographical or geological features to look for, you know, stuff like that. So that way, when they get up 
on orbit, you know, some of them enjoy it more than others. Mm-hmm. Some have a real eye for photography and it, it definitely oh, yeah. looks like art. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them really enjoy that as a pastime, not only for earth observation, but just a general pastime, you know, feeling more connected with back home. And it's a, just a really easy way to share the beauty of the planet and their perspective with the world. And I think some of our most beautiful natural photographs of like the Sahara Desert or just any random place on earth, seeing it from the overview is really extraordinary. And I follow every astronaut that goes to space, obviously. And those are my favorite posts. um, Yeah. Oh, they're flying over Indonesia today, or they're flying over someplace I've never seen or been to. And that really... Seeing it through their eyes really does connect you to the place in a way and connects you to the world in a way. And I really love that. And we always tell them one of the things we make sure to say during their kind of social media overview is that they're going to get a perspective that most of us will never, ever get to have. And so, you know, getting to share those photos with us or even just small life moments of living on the space station. Like, I'm not sure if you saw Kate Rubens posted her. DIY space station promoting booth. booth. Oh, yes. I loved that. Yeah. Yes, I, I love that. It's just such a, I don't know, it's so relatable. You know, we're all right, voting right. down here. She's voting in space. It's such a right. cool way to share how life is different, but also a little bit the same up there. It's a powerful message. And I think that one that was really needed right now. And I really love that Kate did that tweet. Happy belated birthday to her again. She launched to space on her birthday. I'm obsessed with that fact. <laughs> best gift ever biggest candle ever i'm yeah it's amazing wait since we're here is there anything special that goes on between earth and the space station when it's an astronaut's birthday in space when they're in space you know i am not 100 percent sure i know before you know they've there have been songs sung from mission control right 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 right. and there might be special (laughs) treats that arrive on a cargo craft Family members have the opportunity to send cards and things like that. So, so yeah, I think it varies from person to person. I can't imagine spending a birthday in space. (laughs) I know. Leah, I can't remember which missions we worked together specifically. I know we did CRS-5. Am I right? Yeah, CRS-5. So that was a cargo mission to the ISS flying on SpaceX. And it delayed from December 18th to January 10th. So Leah and I were part of a Leah and I were part of a 50 person NASA social group. And by the time we got to the last day of, you know, went past all the scrubs to January 10th for actual launch. It was five in the morning. I think there were six of us. <laughs> Nothing like that. Yeah. Because we had all driven down or flown down the right. day before the launch and then right. it ended up being postponed. Right. Like right. As we were on the drive. And I remember my dad being like, well, we're on the way, so we might as well just go. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, you know, nearly five, you know, five years ago, the cadence of launches wasn't as rapid as it is today. It was a very different world. So yeah, Leah, I completely forgot. I do remember now, though, that you were at Wallops when the Antares blew up. But you were also standing next to me when CRS-7 yes. <laughs> blew up. So yeah, wow, two uh, two explosions down for you, my friend. Um, I've only had 
Actually, I've had two also, Amos 6 and CRS 7. It's important to reiterate how critical supplies are. I mean, we're, a lot of us were into the, the commercial crew now. We're all talking about Bob and Doug and Crew 1 coming up in just a couple of weeks. But cargo is still very, very critical. It is the socks they're wearing, the food they're eating, the experiments, the hardware. Those go up on cargo resupply missions. The Bigelow expandable module, the beam, that went up on a CRS mission. And it's now office space or like closet space for the space station. <laughs> That's an amazing thing because they launched that with the intention of it only working for a year. And I think it's nearly going on four years strong now. Actually, it outlived Bigelow because Bigelow doesn't exist really anymore. So, um, it, you know, these cargo missions, it's really important to remember how important they are. But Leia, so we're into, like I said, the DM2 was a success. And now we're heading into Crew 1. SpaceX is gearing up. Tell us about being on that live stream. I, I know there's things you can't say, and I know there's things you can't say. So give us the things you can't say. Oh, there's, there's, I'm pretty much an open book, I think. <laughs> Being on, it was very funny. So I came on for the post-launch portion of the show. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we were going to launch originally, I believe it was on a Wednesday right. and ended up scrubbing with maybe 20 minutes to go, maybe a little more just because of weather. And so I was sitting in my hotel room in California wondering if I'd need to put my makeup on that day, you know, like, do I need to get ready to go in <laughs> right, or not? Right. And so then the second try came around a few days later, and I'm in the same position. And then it was like, Oh, no, we're really going, we're really doing this. So I feel like there's so much, you know, studying that I can do and so much preparation. But then at the same time, when it, it's actually happening, you just get so excited. And also a little bit nervous, maybe a lot bit nervous at some points. I was I really know. nervous. For, yeah, for, was, for everyone. I was nervous for everyone, including it, my friends. I, it's, you know, I, when you said that you were going to be working the live stream one day, I think I re responded to you, you know, I said, I'm going to be at the clock. And that's where I was at the clock right before DM2. And I was watching the live stream on my phone, seeing the, all the stuff happen. And I just remember being nervous for literally everyone I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I... Prepare for it so much, but still, there are things that you can't predict, you know? Right. Um, we do a lot of sims here, simulations of the mission and things that could go right, that could go wrong. And so, you know, we do try and prepare for, for those sort of things. But at the same time, you just never really know when something's going to crop up. I mean, space exploration, like everybody says, is very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so you can prepare so much, but you have to really know your stuff. So that way, if you get into kind of a tricky situation, you're not having to, you know, stall or, or right. backpedal. You got to be able to, you got to be able to improvise and adapt really quickly, especially right. in jobs like yours, where you're on a live stream or, you know, you're communicating with the space station or even on social media. I feel like adapting to a changing environment, just like space is really, really important. And doing the splashdown show, I did the undocking portion and it was, I did a 12 hour shift. So we kind of set it up that we would each do 12 hour shifts. And at the end of my shift, Dan Hewitt came to relieve me. And I, I was like, I could have stayed another hour or two. I was just having so much fun at that point. It's really cool to be at SpaceX and, right. and part of the whole thing, you know, you just kind of don't want to give up that little piece you have of it. I know, um, I know. 
So yeah. Was that your first time visiting SpaceX headquarters in Hawthorne? May for launch was, yes. Okay. Now, a few months before that, after covering the company since CRS5, you know, nearly four or five years, right before, actually the day that Los Angeles had, the day that the mayor of Los Angeles declared the outbreak there and started the shutdown, that was the day I visited SpaceX. (gasps) Wow. Um, Yeah. And uh, I flew out that night back to Cape Canaveral to cover CRS 20 late, uh, like a week or two later. But yeah, I'm lucky that I visited when I did because yeah. as a, if, if I hadn't visited right now, I wouldn't know when that would occur or if no. ever. Right. So I was really lucky and blessed to visit a good friend there. I got to see, see all the things that I, I've seen in magazines and, you know, in movies and stuff. Um, but uh, it was really cool. I'm really blessed that I visited at the time I did. I also visited the James Webb Space Telescope. Oh, so cool. Which was amazing. And I also visited Virgin Orbit. So I got to see some cool things yeah. those couple of days before the outbreak, outbreak really hit the United States. And I'm really blessed to have done that. And Leia, seeing you with the SpaceX headquarters in the background was really, really cool. What was a standout thing for you doing those live streams? Like You said you had so much fun. What was, what was the thing that you're going to tell your grandkids one day? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Probably um story way too long that they're not interested. In. <laughs> I mean, I'll just never forget walking in for the first time and and seeing the whole, you know, production line of Falcon 9 rockets. Oh, I know. Um, and it just feeling like I was in a different century almost and leaving that day and my face hurt because I'd been smiling so much. It was such a good day. So I'll, you know, and being right outside of mission control during the actual missions themselves, that's a really incredible piece to know that everything being controlled for this mission or that was programmed for this mission happened, you know, mostly in this building. So, so that's a good feeling just to even be that close to the mission. All right, Leo, your insight is extremely exciting to hear because we always want to know what's going on behind the scenes of the live stream and just mission control. So thank you uh, for that insight. But that leads me to another question. What is something that you think the public doesn't know about your job or about space that you really want them to know? Because I remember when you and I first got started, there was so much we didn't know. There was so much I don't know, I want to say there was like an elusive aura around NASA and the space program. It almost seems unattainable. What's something that you would share with a person who doesn't work in the space industry to shed some light on our world? That's a, that's a good question. Um, you know, I don't think I realized how much of a 24-hour job it really is before mm-hmm. I started working at NASA. And of course, you know, space is 24 hours. So it makes sense. And especially because we have people living in space, you know, 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. But I think another thing that when I was working social media, I found really funny was, you know, I think a lot of people think because NASA is a big kind of brand, a big presence on the internet that we don't see what people write to us or comment on our things. Mm -hmm. And we actually do. And so it's really, um, you know, uplifting sometimes to read how how much it means to them to be able to watch a launch. And we're able to share that to, you know, remind everybody else how important it is to to continue sharing 
the NASA story. So that's been a lot of fun to see that behind the scenes side of it. That's really that's a really neat note that when you comment on an Instagram post for the ISS or one of the NASA accounts, or when you tweet back at NASA, someone is reading that. Someone is appreciating that. And when you comment under a NASA tweet, let's say the tweet is about OSIRIS-REx, and you comment under that tweet about how excited you are, or you have something to add to the discussion, or you have a piece of information or a fact that you think is really amazing, you want to share it with other people on social. People are engaging with that. People are seeing that. Most importantly, the folks who are part of the mission are seeing that. And it really makes them feel really great about what they're doing. Remember, these missions take sometimes a decade to even put together. To see the public's reaction, to hear your thoughts, to hear your feedback, it's really, really the big main reason they're doing this. They want to inspire people. Yeah, it was like very especially enlightening and uplifting earlier this summer during DM2, during the launch, when it seemed like everybody took 10 minutes to just focus on the launch. And it was kind of a tumultuous time around that. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I think that that was just a bright moment for everyone. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was really reflected in the comments. So we always try to include that whenever we do reviews of how the content performed or anything like that, just because it's so important that might, you might not be able to measure somebody's emotions necessarily. Like you can measure retweets or likes or shares or anything, but, but that impact can sometimes mean so much more. It's really, it really, really does. I want to continue this conversation about impact because outreach is so important and it's basically what you and I do every day. It's our main goals with your job and what we do at Supercluster and especially with all the space reporters and science communicators out there. Every day we wake up and we're trying to figure out new ways to communicate space to people. Now, Leah, what have you learned about that in particular over the last few years? How have you improved your communication? What didn't work? What did work? You know, a lot of what I say is find where people already are at and then go meet them there. This is especially true on social media. You know, you can talk all day long about what interests you and, and never reach anybody else just because it's in your own bubble. But especially on social media, when it comes to trending topics, you know, we never want to be inauthentic. We never want to look like we're reaching to join a conversation. But a lot of times we do have very relevant information, you know, looking at the coronavirus pandemic, We've had astronauts living in space for 20 years, and so they very much understand what it's like to be a little bit isolated Mm -hmm. and to have to have virtual relationships with their family back home. And so we were able to join that conversation and share what NASA's doing rather than just, you know, talking in our own bubble. So I think that's one of the biggest things I've learned because there are also, you know, there's a ton of social media holidays and It's hard to predict what's going to perform well and and what's not for some of those, but it's just when you see an opportunity where a conversation is already happening, don't be afraid to join it. That's really, really important. And I think NASA being a, you know, a public agency, you sometimes do have to address the real world outside of the sector that NASA operates in. And I think this year we have seen that for the most part, especially with the pandemic. And also right. NASA got involved with ventilator research and things like that at some of the NASA centers around the country, which is important. And the space industry itself, Virgin, SpaceX, uh, other companies, 
during you know some of the really bad days and weeks that we had early in the outbreak, really lent a hand to making supplies, PPE and uh, ventilators. The space industry wants to help. Sometimes it's a struggle figuring out how to help and how to connect with everyday life. I mean, I think that is just the long arc struggle of outreach. And I think, Leah, I want to, I've been waiting to ask you this for a while because I do follow you on Twitter. And of course, I follow ISS, <laughs> the other account. I see you hanging out with some pretty, pretty cool people who are getting the word out there to their followers and fans like Ariane Grande. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please tell me about, she's visited, right, to Johnson Space Center? Yes, she visited, I think it was last summer, summer 2019. Wow. And did you get to meet her? Yeah, I did, actually. We spent the day, she brought a lot of her friends, a lot of the, you know, dancers that tour with her. Her entourage. Um, yeah, kind of her entourage. <laughs> and so we spent the day taking them around the center and, and really just showing them what we do at Johnson. That is so cool. One of my favorite ISS moments last year when it comes to outreach was Will Smith doing like a video chat. And that yes. was really, really cool. Does the, I, like how do, does the celebrities reach out or is it NASA or is it both? Like I assume that it's both at some points, right? That whose idea it is. Yeah, typically I think, you know, we've started working on a relationship. We have somebody in our office that works specifically with celebrity engagement. Right, 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 right. So we've developed relationships with, you know, their managers, talent agents, things like that. And so, you know, if they're interested, they can work through the contact that they already have with us. Mm -hmm. So a lot of things come about like that. Sometimes NASA does have the opportunity to reach out and say, hey, you know, we have this opportunity. Would you be interested? But for the most part, you know, a lot of the, the people that come visit NASA, like Ariana Grande, they are coming to tour in Houston. Mm -hmm. And so they might get some free time during their day and they'll come out and, and see NASA. And their minds will be blown. Yeah I've, seen, <laughs> yeah, I've seen their Instagram posts. They're always super excited to be at NASA. And I think it's really important that celebrities visit and do social media, just like NASA Social or you know, stuff like that. Obviously, Johnson Space Center is a famous place. And there's, I could list off celebrities, Matt Damon, and I'm sure Bruce Willis and a bunch of other folks have visited and filmed there. So I did visit Johnson Space Center, I think three years ago. And I, I don't know, Leah, you had started yet or you did your internship, but you were not in town. I remember. <laughs> That's kind of frequent for me. I love to travel. Yeah. yeah. So Leah was not in town, but I visited, um, I drove in there from Waco. I was visiting McGregor, Texas, the SpaceX facility there. So I drove over to Johnson and I, I was really blessed to get the access and the tour that they did. I visited the neutral buoyancy lab. There were astronauts training in there, one of whom is flying soon. I'm not allowed to say who I watched train, but yeah, <laughs> it was awesome. And I got to tour the facility. I flew the Starliner simulation, which was awesome. Oh, wow. Um, there's, yeah, there's two simulators there. I did one of them and it was really fun. And I just got to walk around and hang out. And I did come across a lot of empty rooms that aren't in use anymore. And one of, in one of those rooms, there was an Armageddon poster laying on the floor in a frame. And I thought that was so funny. Oh, wow. That's very old school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was a poster of Bruce Willis. Let me tell you something. Space people, a lot of them low-key love Armageddon. No matter what they say on Twitter... They love Armageddon because it's just a fun <laughs> space movie. 
I love it. I'm not going to lie. I love the movie. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's really fun to see the pop culture stuff laying around NASA at Kennedy in the glass case. I don't know if you remember, Leia. There's a, an award in there from, well, I, I don't remember what, it was like a visual effects award or something for the movie Armageddon in there as well. And a couple other television shows and documentaries that won awards that film at Kennedy and Johnson. So it's really fun to see that stuff. Leia, what can you tell us about Crew One? Now, as of today, we're looking at a November 14th. Tell us about your excitement because we're still in the early stages of commercial crew. We've only had one flight. Tell us about your emotion and your feeling like working at Johnson and getting ready for this big mission. Honestly, I think about Crew One every day right now (laughs) Um, and for a while now because I'll be flying out to California again to be at SpaceX. Yay, I can't wait. I know, know. and this time I'm very excited. I'll actually get to do the launch portion of the show. Oh my God, that's a lot of pressure. (laughs) I'm sorry, I I shouldn't say that, Leah, but wow, because I'm feeling it here. That is intense. That's for me, that's going to be that mission is going to be a lot of adrenaline, a lot of excitement but you being on the launch live stream that i'm really excited about that <laughs> thank you That's i'm gonna brag so hard on twitter i'm gonna brag so hard oh my like, gosh. Guys, i know that person that is i i'm gonna freak out so i'm excited yeah You are too kind. You're too kind. No, yeah, that's exactly why I can't stop thinking about it because it is a lot of pressure. But mostly, like I'm smiling so big right now. It's so much excitement. You know, your parents must be so (laughs) proud. I'm so happy for them. Yeah, I love them. I'm so grateful. You know that it is on the 14th right now because the time is actually, you know, normal waking hours, which you don't always get for space. I know we're we're a little lucky this time around. You know, but. Let's be real. Our fans know, and we all know that that you know that date could easily shift, and the time could easily shift. So we'll put that caveat out there. So yeah, I'm very excited. I can't wait to get out there. And in between, you know, missions, we do a lot of studying, of course, to learn about the vehicle, about the spacecraft. Mm -hmm. We participate in the simulations. Talked about that a little bit. We, of course, are still. You know, commentary is not a job of itself. That's Mm -hmm. kind of a an add-on to what I do, and it's my favorite thing that I get to do. But is it mostly ad-libs? Is it is it very conversational? Is it off notes that you have, like when you do that kind of stuff? We make sure to have you know mm-hmm. some notes available. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's a little more conversational than others, and it it really depends on how well you know your mission. You know, right? Spacewalks are one of my favorite things to do commentary for, and I feel like I study so much beforehand that I don't use my notes as much during the broadcast. Right. But for crew one, you know, we've got a lot going on in a broadcast. We've we're, it's going to look very similar to the DM2 broadcast. Crew one is just it's so exciting because obviously DM2 was incredibly exciting to yeah. send people to space from America again for the first time in what 9 years. Yeah. Very long. Time. And yeah, and so now we're looking at really making this you know, uh, a regular thing. We're going to have yeah, we're aiming for normalcy. Yeah, we're aiming right. for normalcy here. And so this crew is awesome. Got Mike Hawkins, Victor Glover, Shannon Walker, Suichi Noguchi. And they're, you know, a really great crew together. They're very fun. We have some really cool video products that are going to be coming out that just do a good job of showcasing their personalities. And so I'm excited to see them fly. And it's just, it's a huge honor to get to be part of this in any capacity. 
whether it's very much behind the scenes or in front of the camera, it feels so good to know that down the line, I'll be able to look back on this and know I played a tiny, 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 tiny part. But regardless, I got to play a part in telling the story. It's an incredible thing to be a part of in any level. And we had Victor on the podcast last week, and he seems so excited for his, it's his first launch. And I know we've been talking about the astronaut database. We already have him in the system and we're waiting to like flip that switch. So he's in space. <laughs> we're really excited for that moment. Victor will be the first person we're doing that for with the astronaut database. So we're really excited for that moment. We have a couple of cool things coming for that mission from Supercluster. We sat down with Kathy Luters, human spaceflight hero of NASA, and she's an incredible person. And uh, we're, we've sat down with her for an interview. So we're going to be publishing that for Crew One. Obviously, you're listening to this podcast. This is part of our Crew One coverage. And I promise I did not know Leia was going to be on the live stream <laughs> at all. I did not know until now. So I'm really happy for her. But Leia, what, what message do you have for the next Leia? Because you and I, five years ago, we were stumbling around Kennedy trying to figure out what we want to do with our lives. We had each other for guidance and we had a lot of close friends. Thaddeus Cesari, who ran with us back then, he worked at NASA too on James Webb. So shout out to Thaddeus. But what would you say to the next Leia? What, what words would you give that person to pursue a, a career like yours? You know, that's a great point. We have a cool group of friends and mostly we've stayed in touch with each other. I'll shout out to Winston Moy, Ian Bragg. Oh, and, and Right. And Tara, Tara. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. so much fun, you know, and we still keep in contact pretty often too. And so just encouragement to find your group of people mm-hmm. and, you know, build each other up and support each other's work and that you definitely have a place in the space industry. I feel like the space industry, it's very funny to me. Space is huge, but it's a very tight knit community, especially mm-hmm. online. Right. And so I think that that's a, you definitely have a place there. You know, it's very welcoming. I don't know. I mean. There's so much that you can do within the space industry. I had no idea that we could work and tell the space story. I just didn't know that was something NASA needed. And so I will, you know, tell the next Leah, like, there is a space for you in the space (laughs) industry. There's space for you in space. I think that's perfect. I'm going to make a t-shirt out of that. Perfect. (laughs) We always need, we always need people telling the story. We're never going to have too many people telling the story no. of space. So I think Never. that's my biggest encouragement. Leah, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you on this show five years after we became friends and made somewhat of a plan for ourselves. Watching you grow over the last five years has been uh, inspiration to me and my career and has pushed me forward too. So I thank you. And I, on behalf of a lot of people out there who are seeing you on that live stream, and I have to say thank you because you're doing a really amazing job for the industry. You are too kind. Thank you so much. It really is such an honor and sometimes (laughs) definitely feels like um, I'm not exactly supposed to be where I'm at just yet, but I don't take it for granted. I'm very blessed and grateful that we were able to link up, you know, five years ago and then again now. And that, you know, like you said, it's just been so fun to watch each other's passions really become a livelihood. So thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to see uh, all the cool things that Supercluster is going to do. Oh, you will. And everyone listening, please, of course, we don't have to ask you this, but you're going to tune into all the Crew One live streams. Supercluster will be promoting stuff, and we will have full-blown coverage of that really critical mission. 
and of course, tune in to Leia's broadcast. <laughs> we will, I will be tweeting about it. Thank you so much, Leia. And we will hopefully catch up with you very soon. Absolutely. Thanks.